0: Welcome to episode four of the Sullivan & Strumpf podcast. I'm Joanna Strumpf. And I'm Ursula
1: Sullivan. And this week we're going to focus on an incredible artist, Eko Nogrohu. His work is part of a group show that Megan Arlen, now gallery manager in Singapore, has curated. The show celebrates transience and how the impermanent is being viewed, documented and preserved by artists. It's a very timely exhibition. This week in the podcast, we're going to view two fabulous women, Dr. Michaela Tai and Julie Ewington. Julie Ewington is a writer, curator and broadcaster. She is an absolute authority on contemporary art, especially art by women and contemporary art from Southeast Asia. You can find out more about her at julieewington.com. Dr. Michaela Thai, fabulous woman. She is a curator, researcher and academic specialising in contemporary Asian art and Australian design. She is the director of 4A, a not-for-profit gallery focusing on contemporary art from Asia. It is a small building with a big heart. You can see more about what they're up to at 4A.com.au.
0: These are two of my favourite people speaking about one of the most exciting artists, so can't wait
2: to hear it. I'm Michaela Tai.
0: And I'm Julie
3: Ewington, and today we're going to talk about Echo Negroho, the wonderful Indonesian artist based in Jakarta. I want to start by saying where I first encountered him and his work. I was really fortunate to be in KL Kuala Lumpur with a colleague from Queensland Art Gallery looking for artists for the 2006 Asia-Pacific Triennial. We were alerted to look for Echo. We went to Valentine Willie Fine Art and wonderful curator colleagues Beverly Young and Adeline Uwe introduced Echo's work to us. It was so wonderful. It was completely and already compelling. He's a mature artist at 28 or whatever he was then. But they were small embroideries. Many know them larger than A4. Some of them may be as large as about A3. And they were brilliant and funny, figurative, comic-like small works, very intense and and extraordinarily made with machine embroidery, clearly made by professional machinists in Jogja. So we could immediately see that he was harnessing community. Me and my colleague Don Heron fell in love with him on the spot. And I'm telling you, if they hadn't been for the Queensland Art Gallery's exhibition, it would have been Embroidery Gate right there. (laughs) because I love them so much. And the rest was history. He came to Brisbane for the fifth APT in 2006, which opened the new Goma building. He showed a group of these wonderful embroideries that we were able to hoover up, which is what museums do. But he also did a really, really huge wall mural for us, which was called It's All About the Destiny, Isn't It? And he did this in black and white, very graphic comic style, on an 18 metre high wall, which is a beast of a wall, which is the wall in the front hall as you go into the Gallery of Modern Art, for those who know about the gallery in Brisbane. And he was so fantastic to work with. It was in the end, a tiny little drawing on a piece of A4 from memory or A3, which was scaled up and projected onto this 18 metre wall with a team. And you know, the man is a whirlwind of energy, uh, great contributor, wonderful to work with. What about you? First contact.
2: I think it would have been 2010. Um, it was in my first, like, serious art job where I'd left um, working at the NGB in many roles and was working in a small gallery in Melbourne. We had decided to do a show about contemporary Indonesian art and Echo was one of the artists that was chosen. He came to Melbourne, did this fantastic series of works, many of which I believe are now in the collection of the National Gallery of Victoria. And everything that you said was right. And what I found completely fascinating about Echo was that he's got an ability to think about contemporary issues and events in a very personal way, but with a very global vision. So he can speak to so many people from quite a personal story. And I remember once he was, you know, he's a bit naughty, Echo, and he had slept through about five of my calls for an ABC interview. So I was down at his hotel room convincing him to get up to go and then he decided we needed to get cupcakes on the way it was a disaster anyway we missed the interview and instead we sat on the banks of the Yarra and had a really big chat about how he came to be a painter how he came to be you know this international artist and what kind of responsibility came with that and he talked a lot to me about community and how he wanted to bring everyone that he knew along with him as part of this kind of story and he needed to talk about all these issues and you know people look sometimes to this group of artists that emerged during this period, people like John Pett, who were coming after the sort of first wave contemporary artists like FX Hassano, who's very well exhibited in Australia. And I think that's one of the most fascinating things that the artists don't want to relocate to New York. They don't need to go to Berlin. They want to stay in their community and talk from there. And that, along with his works, which are, of course, fantastic, really was an extraordinary conversation to have about someone that could have the whole global art world, but wanted to have his community. So I found that interesting.
3: That's really fantastic because so much of his practice is A, based in in Indonesia, but particularly based in Java, right? And so he, as you pointed out before, he was 21, just about 21 when the Suhatu regime was finally ended and the beginnings of democracy started in Indonesia. So he was part of a wave of young artists who were on the front foot and would desperate for social and political change in their country and the second thing was that I saw him referred to on the net as um, a member of the internet generation in Indonesia generation 2000 that's true too because it was often quite difficult to actually schlep around Indonesia as I did in the 1990s going to galleries in the pre-internet age if anyone can remember that where you would you know have to visit galleries and homes and studios to find the work and look at it and take your own pre-digital photographs but this energy that was unleashed by that moment you spoke about was enabled as well by global electronic communication digital communication and his practice and that of many other artists actually was ready for it because it's deep and rich and culturally grounded, you know, it's it's very very intense. And for anybody who's never been, Yogyakarta is a complete treat in many ways. I mean, to my mind, I think people would agree it's it's not one of, as I saw it described, Indonesia's most vibrant art centre. It is the. Art Center for Indonesia in terms of its literary and visual arts. Only Solo or Surakarta, which is only 60 k's away, would rival it for music and the performance arts. It is absolutely wonderful place for the imagination to run riot. And and you know, Eko's work is, in one level, very traditional. You know, he has all these little single figures that stand facing directly towards the viewer or the camera, if you like, and they stand there rather like they're small characters in a performance so it reminds us of the very performative character of Indonesian culture it's right there and by the way he sometimes uses batik and you know other kinds of you know materials as well but they they often say things that are completely universal as you say so they'll be talking about democracy or hypocrisy or they're masked so you can see that they're hiding some part of their secret self but they're trying to be in public and in one work that i saw illustrated on the website he had used a bunch of gas bottles painted them blue and turned the slit on the gas bottle at the top which is a handle into the eyepiece rather like a ned kelly mask and behind the slit on the gas bottles are eyes so you know it's it's a very a very rich and elusive imagery
2: and even that, I think of that imagery is very connected to, you know, historical and traditional ideas in Java, which is an incredibly spiritual place and mm-hmm. the sort of, yes, it's religious, but there's also this kind of underlying spiritual idea that there are things that inhabit there's a kind of fatalism to things and things are inhabited by things there is a way that things will go and yes they used to inhabit things like knives or they'll inhabit food but the idea they could inhabit a gas bottle is also sort of embedded in there there's a force that runs through beyond humanity it's part of the earth and I like that that's kind of connected in Echo's work even though it's a very contemporary symbol it still is connected to this kind of idea of spiritual forces that are at work that we can't we can never control them.
3: Well, that's absolutely right, and that's one of the most astonishing things to experience when you are travelling in Indonesia, but also, I agree, it's there in Java. There's, there's two things that we both spoke about before we should bring up. We wanted to talk about his embeddedness in his community, the way that Echo's work comes out of his place in the community. So my example of that is his wonderful magazine called Daging Tombu, And that literally means diseased tumour, which gives you a bit of a sense about what he thinks of the body politic, you know, and about social life. And it's a zine. He's run it since 2000. It's collaborative. They're photocopies. They often have gorgeous covers, like lovely covers, but anybody can photocopy what's inside. It's kind of a free-for-all. It's a kind of download this book situation. And there's generally only about 150 copies in an edition. So it's a kind of episodic, fabulous books. Very hard to understand if you don't read enough vernacular Indonesian, but so lively and always inviting other artists in. And there's a whole suite of them in the Queensland Art Gallery collection and you can look at some of them online on the Queensland Art Gallery site. So this is a a fantastic thing, but it's genuinely collaborative Mm. and genuinely shared and invites A lot of people and basically he's made it a platform for lots of artists including lots of younger artists and this is absolutely typical of Indonesian Javanese sociality and social life it's as if the the ego is not individual but it's it's a collective one
2: front of his beautiful studio is like a small shop where he sells editions of his own works, but also asks other artists to contribute their own things. Sort of creating up his own kind of micro economy for local artists, knowing that people like Julie or myself or someone from overseas are coming to his studio where they can actually see more than just his work, but he's using that platform to extend further. And he also was running when I was there last, which was maybe three four years ago, he was also running kids classes. He designed like the curriculum to ensure that children have this kind of first touch into engagement with contemporary art and the idea of being an artist and practising and beginning these kinds of conversations from a really young age and not just, you know, how to paint, but why to paint and what, what do you want to say? And this kind of investment back into community, it gets a lot of lip service, I think, around, you know, contemporary art, but he's truly doing it. It's embedded into his entire ethos about how he works and how he um, produces work.
3: Yes, he's not the first. I mean, I think that was also very much part of the practice of people of the previous generation. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very, a very astonishing, rich, open, oral culture, you know. <laughs> Dallin Cristanto once took me to an ecumenical sort of Christian conference where I spent an exhausting day listening to all of the speeches in Indonesian, in Bahasa. My Bahasa was pretty crappy then, but I'm telling you, almost all the speakers were astonishing. So the level of competence, the level of achievement in terms of the spoken and the performative in that culture is off the scale. Just one thing I thought I'd pick up on in terms of what you were saying. There was a work that was in the National Gallery of Australia last year in 2019 in the Contemporary Worlds Indonesia show. And it was a pretty good one and it's still illustrated on the NGA's website. It was made the year before in 2018. I think it's a real ripper because there's a big sign that says democracy, spelt in Indonesian with a K. And then behind that there are two signs in English and one of them says trap and the other says collapse from memory. And I thought the fact that he decided to make them in English points to the way in which he wants the work to be legible to audiences. So while we English speakers don't speak often enough Indonesian to understand what's being done, simple Indonesian, in this case, he absolutely addressed the audience. So democracy becoming a sort of a show. In front of the democracy sign there was this really funny figure which was like one of those stage donkeys, four feet, worn by two humans, vibrant, funny, like it's politics wrapped up in in gorgeous colour and humour. It's totally seductive. But it was a pretty deadly message. It was like it'll turn into a sideshow at a carnival if we are not vigilant. Brilliant work.
2: And I think, you know, the um, NGA had that. That was really the anchor work for the show was the cover of the catalogue, you enter the exhibition on one side of it and you exited the exhibition on the other side of it. But it also speaks to, I think, probably the longest running investigation, artistic investigation of ECHOES, which is what is democracy and what does this word mean? When, you know, when everybody thinks about democracy, they, they draw on the word from their own set of references, which are not the same. And what does democracy mean in Southeast Asia to a country that had been in such iron-fisted rule until 1998, what does democracy mean then in comparison to kind of how we see the constitution always um, evoked in America? It's a very different conversation. So again, a different conversation than 1989 in China when there was a fight for democracy. This is a different kind of democracy. So the idea that he is working through what this means in the context of Southeast Asia, then Indonesia, and then in particular, Jogja is something that we should think about. I think and his, his message is that everyone should think about what does democracy mean for them in their community, because it's not just one blanket answer. You can see if you go back and trace this in his work, how that changes his own relationship with the word and the concept oscillates and develops and sort of compresses and expands the constant thought or engagement he's having with his idea, which is so powerful.
3: It's a very, very powerful body of work. It's astonishing really it's it's about the politics of everyday life rather than the ethics.
2: yeah, but also I think ethics is a nice term when you think of echo. He's an incredibly ethical artist
3: in the various aspects of his practice, <laughs> that's right, yeah,
2: but he really he is like if you' if you're going to think about artists and how they work and how they practice, he yeah, he works in a very ethical manner.
3: He employs local people, he encourages local young artists, and like you were saying a little while ago. All of this has taken echo to a very broad international stage. So he's had recent, you know, he's had showings in, in New York at the Asia Society and in Paris at the Musée des Modernes. He's shown very, very broadly in Germany, in Holland, of course, you know, very, very widely internationally. Wonderful installation at Guangzhou a couple of years ago, uh, at the Guangzhou Biennale.
2: And I believe he was the first artist to paint the water wall at the NGV after Herring.
3: Yes, he was.
2: That's a big shoes to fill.
3: He's absolutely up for it. And um, in fact the conversation between Eka Negroho and Keith Herring is one I would have liked to have seen.
2: Yeah, I mean, in terms of people working in the cusp of change and not only thinking about it in a conceptual manner, but being an agent for change, being in the right place at the right time to push that, they've both grasped those opportunities to do yep, that. Yep,
3: let's hear it for Echo. Tatamakasi Banyak, Nikola Tai.
2: Your Bahasa, I have no Bahasa, embarrassingly. It's been a great honour to talk about Echo. He's really one of the extraordinary artists of our era. And I think what he'll say and what he'll do next as a response to the current climate will be fascinating.
3: Yes, a shout out to Echo. good luck. Good luck to all of our colleagues and friends in Jakarta. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Julian, and Michaela. That was so great and interesting to hear your insights, both informative and intelligent.
0: Indeed. Next week's podcast is going to be an interesting one as well. We're listening to a conversation between Greg Hodge, currently residing in Paris, and David Flack, who is one of Australia's most exciting interior designers and a huge fan of Greg Hodge too. So I I look forward to hearing those guys chatting. Greg's next exhibition is launching on the 21st of May. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And if you want to find out more about our exhibitions, about Echo's show, you can head to our website, www.sullivanstrumpf.com. You can also check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Sullivanstrumpf. That's about it from us for today. I'm signing off. Thanks, Joe. See you next time.